Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good question, Jim. Um, understand that your audience needs to understand that the Kim family is notorious, notorious for setting up a meeting and not coming or they want to change everything around to fit their particular profile so they're, they're notorious for doing this and that's the way they treated the president's um, Bush 41 all the way through Obama and what happened was those American presidents basically exceeded to the Kim family's shenanigans well what happened was when Mr. Kim and understand there's some things that are very to me very important about the President of the United States uh, remember the brouhaha where he was asking supposedly asking Comey for his loyalty he is a very loyal person himself, and people that are loyal to him get the protection of Donald Trump. When Kim attacked Vice President Pence, Donald Trump said, no, we're not going. We're not going to have this meeting. Now, what happened was the North Koreans are so used to getting things, quote, their way, when Donald Trump said, sorry, no meeting, they panicked because he turned the tables on them. And so he, he reminded us, President Trump reminded us that he said to the American people when he was running for president, we've got to solve, we've got to stop kicking this North Korea can down the road. we got to solve it. But then he told us after he became president, he said, look, if there's ever the possibility that we're going to have discussions with North Korea, I want you to understand something. If I get to that summit and I find that they're playing games and they're not genuinely interested in disarming and making America and the world safer, I'm going to walk. I'm absolutely going to walk. And... I don't think the Koreans believed him, and that's why they tried him. So, I think it's a very good possibility, Jim, that when he goes there, he walks to make a point. Wow. We've got uh, Dan Perkins with us today. North Korea says it's demolishing its nuclear test sites, and... uh, North Korea, of course, ripped President uh, uh, President Trump and, of course, uh, Pence in a threat to uh, walk out from the summit. Um, what, what, what do you make of, of all the upheaval over all this? Canceling and then coming back and then canceling and then coming back. It is the, it is the North Korean strategy. It's like 
We have a parallel, Jim, in the United States. No matter who's sitting in the White House, on a historical basis, after Ronald Reagan, the Democrats were always in control. Democrats were called control when Bush 41 was president and when Bush 43 was president. The Democrats said, Mr. President, this is how you'll act. And when you say jump, you ask me how high. Yes. So that the Democrats were always in control, whether they were in control legally, they always controlled the agenda. Same thing with Kim. They were trying to control the agenda. Trump said, no more. It's just like the whole trade issue, Jim. People are upset with Donald Trump because of what he's trying to do in putting in tariffs. He's putting in tariffs for one very specific reason. The trade deals that we've made over the last 40 years are atrocious. Example, before China came into the World Trade Organization, it was responsible for 13% of the total steel production in the world. We assisted in getting them into the World Trade Organization and getting them most favored nation status. As a result, Jim, they now control 43% of the steel market in the world. How did that help us? <laughs> well, you are, you are correct in that, my friend. I try to be. I try to be. <laughs> well, we're going to do yeah, this. Um, Dan, I'm going to call you right back. I'm going to get our guest on the line. I'm going to call you back here in just a few seconds. We have got uh, Dan Perkins. We're going to take a timeout. If your time credit out. card bills have gotten out of hand, call Consolidated Credit now. Good afternoon, Dan Perkins. Good afternoon, Dan. I believe I also have our guest with us today. Valerie, can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, indeed. We've got uh, Valerie L. Greenfield with us today. She's the author of Backyard Jihad, How Parents Can Detect the Threat of Radicalization. And uh, she joins us today here on our broadcast. She's a national security expert. She's an international security expert. She's also an expert on ISIS and targeting certain youth on America's college campuses and trying to radicalize them. And she has a a great book on the issue. Um, Valerie, um, tell us first of all a little, little bit more on your background, a little bit more about your book, and me and Dan, I know I've got some questions for you. Great, thank you. Uh, so I, I'm in Washington, D.C., and I worked on Capitol Hill. I uh, worked in the legislative section of the executive branch of the White House. Uh, I have two master's degrees in international security and economic policy. And I uh, decided to write the book um, focusing on parents because I've studied the issue of counterterrorism and security for many years, but most parents have not. And um, I wanted to write something so that the average parent in anywhere USA can pick it up and see what is it that they can do today to make their, their children safer, to make their community safer, um, and what's really going on with, with jihad in general. Now, Dan, I know you've probably got some questions. Three hours of questions. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Go, go, go ahead, Dan. Jump in there. Welcome to the show. Uh, did I understand you Thank say you. that you worked at the White House? Did you say that you worked at, 
at the White House, or you are working at the White House? No, I'm not there now. I worked there for President Ronald Reagan. Wow. Hopefully that doesn't tell okay. you how old I am. <laughs> um, doesn't bother me. Um, I've written, also, I'm an author, I've written four books on radical Islamic nuclear terrorism against the United States. And wow. one of the things is I've been traveling over the last four years on the highways and byways and airways. Because uh-huh. I, 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 I noticed... I asked this question, I stopped asking it because I kept getting the same answer. I said to people like Jim, what percentage of your audience has ever read the Korean or Sharia law? And if I got, if I got a 3% number, it was a big number. And I, I say to people, I say to people, if you do not understand why these people hate you, then how can you fight them? Absolutely. And if you don't understand yourself, you cannot understand your enemy. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. So, um, how do we how do we in, engage the American people to want to learn more about this despicable enemy that we're facing? It's an excellent question, and my research um, concurs with everything you just said. Um, by and large, very, very few people um, have read the Koran like you and I have. And even members of the United uh, Americans that have gone over to fight for ISIS in the last several years have not read the Koran. So they don't even know what they were giving their life for. Um, because they were radicalized and they, they saw a vision or a, um, a fantasy in their mind about what it was going to be like, but it wasn't, they didn't do it based on intellectual discovery, they based it on emotion. And this is the problem with radicalization in our country today, is it's not, real, it's not based on fact. Uh, and so some of the reason that I wrote the book is, like you said, to, to let people understand what is it we're against, what is our enemy about, and, and how can we examine ourselves as a country knowing who we are and what we stand for and the freedoms and the democracy that, we, that our Constitution gives us and still, um, and still deal with this enemy because they're taking advantage of all of our, our constitutional freedoms and we're not doing anything about it. Um, I, I totally agree. I, I want to... I want to pick your brain on an issue that I've been thinking about for a while. Something that you, Jim said when he introduced you. Um, okay. Radicalization, radicalization of students on college campuses. So here's the question. If the American college scene is so full of snowflakes, and people who are afraid to talk to other people, people who are afraid to take risk, who don't want any confrontation, how are they radicalizing American college campuses under that mental situation? Okay, two things I would say to that. First, I don't think that they're afraid of confrontation. I think that they are they're so liberal that they believe in a very big chunk of tolerance. And so I don't even know that today they even believe in in good and evil, that we just should be tolerant of everything, whether it's good or evil. 
And I think that's one of the biggest problems. Um, secondly, they become radicalized because at the age uh, that they are in college, they're not fully um, developed. They're not really sure who they are, what their goals are, where where is their life taking them. And that's kind of the process that they have in colleges to, you know, to dip their toes in very many different um, different classes and learn what they like and what they don't like. And what happens is that in that process, those that are there specifically to radicalize these students will pick on the vulnerable. Those that um, they can tell they have certain, they've had a lot of training and they understand the psychology behind college students and then that age group. And they will choose the right people that they think will be most likely to be radical. And they become friends with them and they realize whatever's missing in their life, they don't have, maybe they don't have a lot of friends and they're isolated, so they're going to be their friend. Or maybe they are uh, missing their family and so they're going to be the family. And whatever that person, that child or young adult is missing, the radical recruiter will become that so that they will be so attached that, you know, at, after a period of time, they're going to give up everything they love and they know for radicalization and for that terrorist organization. So uh, let me ask you another question. Um, during most of the time that Barack Obama was president of the United States, the unemployment rate for college graduates was about 25%. <laughs> and you had eight years of tens of thousands of people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to college and were proverbially living in their parents' basement because they couldn't find a job. And there are some people that think that that, that economic collapse and the inability to take care of yourself by finding meaningful employment created an opportunity for a lot of people to become radicalized because it took the responsibility away from them and gave it a chance to place it on the government or whoever. But my question now, if that's if that was ever true, with the federal government reporting last Friday a 3.8% unemployment rate, record low unemployment for Hispanics and blacks, are they losing their grip? Excellent question. Because the, econ I because the economy is... My perspective is that it's not about the economy. I believe it's about the ideology itself. So no matter whether you have a job or you don't have a job, the ideology is the ideology. Um, it's not about economics. So, for example, you know, when you start with the Saudis, you know, you start with Osama bin Laden who started Al-Qaeda. He was a billionaire. And everybody around him that worked for him, they were doctors. They were, you know, highly educated, wealthy people. And why would they leave their easy life? Because they believed in the ideology. And I think it's more about what is missing in, in the college student's life, and it's usually meaning. And they are told that they, their life will have meaning if they give their life to Allah. And these are the things you have to do to believe and to, and to do the right thing. And they all believe they're doing the right thing by killing the infidel. So I don't see it as an economic issue at all. So if I, if I take your word, I, I take the word you use, meaning in one's life. Meaning in one's life. 
Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, tell, tell the audience, what does what do you think the word meaning means to them? So everyone has to decide that for themselves individually. But I think those um, people that grow up in a family that have a background of their own religion are less likely to, to stray into something like radical Islam because they know who they are, they know what they believe, and they have strong roots in the home. So those families that have dinner together and talk about the morals and the values that they that the parents want to impart into their children, those those um, those children will be better off and less likely uh, to to seek anything else because they have roots and they know who they are. So they you find your purpose um, on your own, but you have to have a solid ground first. And so those that become radical are the ones that don't have those roots. They, maybe they're from a home that doesn't have both parents. Maybe they have had a difficult time for some reason. Uh, I know a couple that I've um, read about were bullied in school, and so they don't really, they're a little bit isolated. They are in the basement of their home online, you know, on social media, and they, they meet people that way in these chat rooms, and that's where the recruiters are looking. So... In general, um, you know, everybody has to find their own way, but there are higher percentages of those that do not have a solid ground at home before they leave the home um, that will be more vulnerable. Uh, I absolutely agree with you. In fact, uh, I've written about, uh, I write uh, current events commentary for about 12 different blogs now, and um, Mm -hmm. I've I've written about the concept of, how this problem that we're talking about right now began under Lyndon Johnson, where Lyndon Johnson created the Great Society and his war on poverty. Uh-huh. And what he did is he destroyed, he destroyed the black family. He forced men to leave the homes and the women to take over, and the women were paid on how many number of children they had regardless of how many fathers. So the war on poverty and the Great Society basically destroyed the American black family and so that there are many, many generations of minorities who don't have that base that you're talking about, that, quote, family, that that are leaving these, these children at a state when they're in college is that it appears, and the word operative word appears, that the Muslim recruiters are in fact trying to be their friends and family, when in fact they're trying to do something different with them. Is that, are you familiar with that concept at all? Absolutely. And I think particularly with the African Americans in the United States, um, oftentimes it comes from Malcolm X. Um, watching the movies or reading um, about him or other figures like him that um, will lead him lead them in that direction um, it has to start with something that um, is familiar to them that they can relate to and from there um, I mean that's how John Walker Lynn became radicalized and he's he's not african-american but I know that he would watch these films and read a um, some of the um, books that he, that Malcolm X wrote, and I know that many um, African Americans in the United States began that way as well. So I agree. 
So are we are we at a at a point in our society today? Uh, I, I, I was doing an interview this morning, and and I was saying to the person, um, understand that we have in our society the thing that truly made America unique in the world is that. The diversity of all the people who came from the four corners of the world came here with a purpose to become Americans. And so, regardless of whether they came from Italy, France, Germany, Indonesia, China, wherever it was, they came here because what America stood for and what the value that America had to them was a, great, a, a, a place to be totally different than what they were. But now what's been happening over the last 20 years is that people are coming into the United States and not assimilating into the American culture. We have many places in, in, in Detroit and, and Lansing, Michigan, and Minneapolis and other places, Columbus, Ohio, Seattle, Washington, where we have enclaves of Muslims who have refused to assimilate. Um, I broke a story a number of years ago about a Muslim Sharia court outside of Dallas, Texas that some people, never, nobody knew about it, even the local community until I pointed it out. So that we, we are changing, they're, they're trying to change the culture of America by taking away what made America the great place that it was. And I have grave concerns that we are losing our country. I agree with everything you said, and in addition to that, you know, we have a city in Michigan, Hamtramck, Michigan, which is the first majority Muslim city in the United States, um, which, you know, that, that is just in addition to what you're saying, it, it's happening. And um, we, that's one of the things that I pointed out in my book is that we have to be, our, our neighbors and our communities have to be aware of laws that are changing because consistently now more Muslims are running for political office because they know that's where the laws are going to become, you know, they'll be changed in the state and legislature and, and the federal. And I'm not saying that every Muslim person that runs for office is radical, but there is a very big uptick on the amount of Muslims running for office. And at this point, I should say there's a difference between the religion Islam and the radical interpretation of the religion Islamism, or in my book I call it jihadism. And um, so we are not speaking in, about Muslims in general. We're speaking about those that um, take the radical interpretation. And uh, I believe I agree with you that many of them are, um, you know, they're pushing Sharia law, and Sharia law does not um, is not compatible with the U.S. Constitution. And so it's important right. for your listeners to pay attention to if there are laws that are being changed in their communities and in their areas, um, they need to stand up against that because they will lose their constitutional rights. Um, what other Agreed. can I add to that? I agree with everything that you said, and, you know, many radicals that are coming to the United States 
or they're coming or they're born here and they're U.S. citizens and they're being radicalized in their city, like the ones you suggested in Michigan, um, Minnesota. There's lots of, uh, um, and actually in Tennessee is also a lot of, uh, of radicals there. So, you know, you can be an American citizen and have full freedom here and still add to, to um, the changing of, of our communities. And this is a big problem. So, um, Jim, how long do we have this wonderful lady? We have her uh, till the bottom of the uh, bottom of the broadcast here. Go ahead and ask some more questions, my friend. She is fantastic. We have got a great guest okay. with us today, and uh, she joins us live. And uh, where, where, where do we find you on social media and your website, my friend? Thank you. Um, it's back, <clears throat> backyardjihad.com, and I have a blog there as well. And my book is available on Amazon.com. It's called uh, Backyard Jihad, How Parents Can Detect the Invisible Threat of Radicalization. Awesome. Well, Dan, uh, you've got some great questions here. I know that you still got some more. Go ahead, my friend. Yeah, I I want to change the the, the focus a little bit and and go towards international. Uh, We have seen over the last few months elections in Europe where people are running for office who are, quote, considered to be conservatives who are, and just happened recently in Italy where the guy who was elected said, okay, Syrians, pack your bags, you're leaving. There are other places in Europe where they're trying to expel the Syrian immigrants and other immigrants because they see their country in jeopardy. Now, that's, that's an amazing transformation to the home of political correctness in, in Europe. Are you surprised at the reaction? I'm very surprised. <laughs> who's up in arms? Where's the, where's the hollering? Where's the screaming? Where's the protesting? You know, when we have something going on like, uh, you know, something, something like that going on here, it's, it's, everybody seems to be happy. And in, on the liberal side, in the media side, and and you know Germany is a whole different country now. And many many experts on in radicalization say that Belgium is completely gone, and and Great Britain's on the way, and we're losing Europe completely. And it's it's a very scary thing. But who who's saying anything about it besides your state, your radio station, and my book? You know, we need to. Um, alarm people that this is something that can come here too. It's not something that's just over there. It can be in our own backyard, and in many cases, it already is. So um, right. I think the, the the radicals are sending their people out to certain uh, places on purpose to turn those places around and to make those mosques radical if they're not already radical. And that's something that we need to be on right now. And it seems that we're not. We're not in Europe, and we're not here. So if my brother from another mother was on the show with us today, IQ Al-Rizzoli, he would would be more uh, aggressive, uh, because he's always been that way, that there there, there is no such thing as a moderate Muslim, there's no such thing as a liberal or a radical Muslim, all Muslims are radical. And, and he's, mm-hmm. he, he has his own opinion. But, but what, I, I, what, what I don't think a lot of people 
understand is that of all the religions of the world, the Muslim faith has never had a, a, a reformation. All the Christian Jewish religions of the world and other religions have gone through evolution. But the Muslims have not. And they're still using the Quran and Sharia law as a and they're still teaching it. So we, we, we listen to what they say, and, and yet we have tens of millions of people in this country who don't understand. And, and I think in many cases, don't care whether or not 5 million or 10 million Muslims come into the United States. They don't care that their country, and they don't understand that their country as they've known it is in jeopardy. And I understand when you say, you know, we our show and your books and other things, but what is it about Americans who are so ambivalent to this threat? I think it's, again, it's tolerance. I think that left, you know, the left side says, how can you brand someone because, of, because they are Muslim? That doesn't necessarily mean that they're radical. And, um, and I actually agree, I agree with that. And in many cases, they come here and they're not radical. And then they find other Muslim communities where they have something in common and they become radical when they get here. Um, and no longer, you know, are a lot of Americans or um, or Muslims that come here, they're not leaving anymore to go fight for ISIS somewhere else. They're fighting it here, which is also very alarming um, because Americans need to understand that the fight is not just over there. And once they do that, I think we'll have a, we'll have a shift. The problem is, like you, your friend who's not on the show today, um, very few people would vocalize what he's saying, that all Muslims have this particular um, um, view of, of Sharia law in the Quran. Um, because, as, exactly as you said, many Muslims don't take it to the letter. Just like many Christians can read the Bible and they don't, read, they don't take it to the letter of, of the law. Um, those that do, in, in Mus- you know, that are Muslim, I agree, will tend to be more um, radical. Um, so it depends on the degree of how, how much you take. Sorry? I, I, just, I was Go just going to try and make a comparison. I apologize for interrupting your thought. I want to make a comparison, and, and I know this is going to sound absolutely insane, but that's just the kind of guy I am. Um, <laughs> we we have we have religions in the United States, and I'm going to give you an example and then compare it to Islam. We have Christian organizations and religions, for example, Southern Baptists, who are strict interpreters of the Bible being the Word of God, and it is to be lived by the Word. Well. The, they're not considered radical. There's they're strict people who follow the written document, the 
the Bible and, and their their theologians and their pastors and they teach them the strict interpretation by following quote the letter of the law. I, I think it's a mistake to say that Muslim people who follow the tenets of Sharia law and the Quran as Muhammad asked them to do, I think it's a mistake to call them radicals. Because they're not. They're they're we may it may be easy to call them radicals, but in reality they are being true to their religious beliefs as told to them and instructed to them through uh, the Hadid or, or, or Sharia law or the Quran or whatever. But they they have a firm belief in that, much like the Southern Baptists and some other religions who are, we use the word fundamentalists, who believe in, in strict interpretation of the Bible. But we don't call them necessarily radicals but we call people who follow a strict interpretation of the Quran or Sharia law as radicals. And I think that's, I think that's a mistake. That's, very, that's a great point. And I think that because Christianity went through the Reformation, and as you said earlier, and Islam has not, um, I think that's the reason. And um, that's why I promote... Um, non-radical interpretations of of Sharia law and of um, of the Quran. So there is a movement with Muslims. Um, Judy Jasser is is a part of it. Uh, Rahil Reza, who wrote a um, wrote something from my book. Um, these these people are Muslims, but they're not radical. They 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 want to make their religion interpreted as. Um, as compatible with the Constitution. So as it is now, and, and what you're saying now is correct, if you go to the letter of the law at this moment, then it's radical. And they're trying to say, we need to modernize our country, I mean, our, our religion, and we need to modernize um, Sharia law so that we can be compatible. Um, and, and so they really haven't had their reformation, as you said, and I agree. Right, but I would say, Jim, how much time do we have? We have uh, about 20 minutes here, my friend. Oh, I, I thought we were done. Oh, I thought we were run over on our time. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize. No, so, we're, we're uh, still good, I, my what? friend. We've got a great guest here. Uh, Dan, go ahead and continue, my friend. Thank you. Okay, so uh, the, the issue, as I see it, is that we have people... And again, I, 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 I want to give you a comparison. We have created in Europe and the United States and other countries around the world that followed historically for centuries a Judeo-Christian model. We have created a, a population of secularists who do not have to have a, quote, religion. They, uh, they, don't, they may not believe in the Bible. They don't go to church. They believe that the situation, how I behave as a person, and I can change my mind and do whatever I want to do. There is no structure 
there's a spiritual structure in their lives. On the other hand, because and because they have changed, whether it's women priests in the Episcopal Church or gays and lesbians in, in church, in Christian churches, uh, all these things have been modified to create a more secular, quote, religious institution, which is not really meeting the needs of the people. So those people who have adopted a secularism approach, a non-church, non-denominated approach, I truly believe are missing something in their lives because they are constantly looking for that spirituality that's missing in their lives. In the case of the Muslims, who follow the tenets of Muhammad and Allah by following the documents, have a much stronger commitment to who they are and what they are because it's founded in a unchanging interpretation of their religious law. That's correct. That makes sense to you? Yes, absolutely. And so what I would say to that is, you know, we're, we're, we believe that people can choose their own religion. You know, the First Amendment stands. But what happens in, um, in, in Sharia law and it's in Islamism is that they're proselytizing that everybody else has to do what they, what they believe. And uh, the examples that you just gave... Um, you know, nope, they're not pushing other people. They're saying live and let live. And that's okay. You know, but once it crosses the line into saying, I'm right and everybody else is wrong, and if you don't do what I say, there are consequences, um, then we have a problem. And, and I believe, and that is what jihadism and Islamism is doing. So I see that's why there's a problem. Um, because, um, um, because it's not about you know, one religion. It's about all religions, and that's what our country is about. So if they want to proselytize and create these conclaves, they should do it in a place um, that, that is, is um, the main uh, religion is Islam, and there are plenty of countries for them to do that. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. Uh, she joins us today here on Skype Audio. A fantastic, fantastic guest. And um, you have got a, a great background. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your book, my friend. I wrote the book for grassroots Americans, for, um, for parents specifically because the children or the young adults that are going into college, even in many cases in high school, are the main targets of Islamists. And I want parents to understand what that is, why that's important for them to, re to know about, and what are the signs that they should be watching that might affect their children or some children in their neighborhoods. Um, you know, we've been watching all of these um, um, shootings in schools around, and they're not necessarily jihadists. In many cases, they are not. But the radicalization is the same. You know, they, they are, the signs are very, very similar that, um, you know, there's a vulnerable person, someone that might feel excluded, someone that's isolated. You know, in many cases, these are the same profiles without jihadism, um, so there, these are the kind that are going to do all kinds of, um, of radical 
uh, behaviors, whether they're jihadists or not. And so if, if Americans in general can understand what that looks like, I think we can make our country and our communities much safer. We've got Valerie L. Greenfield with us today, author of Backyard Jihad, How Parents Can Detect the Threat of Radicalization. She's with us today here on Skype Audio. Now, um, uh, 10 Minnesota daycare providers have been involved in a fraud. Uh, former Republican Governor Tim Pawlenty, who is running for his old seat, tweeted that the abuse of funds was an example of what happens when politically correct politicians look the other way when it comes to criminal behavior. Uh, this is like a shadow situation. There, there's there's a lot of weird things going on here. Um, what, 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 what do you make about all this? Yes, yeah, so the problem with daycares in Minnesota, Minneapolis, um, I'm not entirely sure it's only there. So it's, this is a wake-up call for cities around the country to look into the daycares nearby and see who's running them and what's really happening because the taxpayers of Minnesota are paying in you know they're virtually paying for terrorism because the money is going from the state taxpayer to the um, daycare providers to um to uh, oftentimes being sent in this case it was al-shabaab which is in somalia um directly to al-shabaab so you know if 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 this kind of thing is happening in minnesota i would bet i would bet that it's happening around the country and I think this is just a, something that needs to have oversight around the country and understand that those that are here are our predators that are planning to do this kind of stuff and, and scam our, our taxpayers. You know, they need to be prosecuted. This is, this is outrageous, um, and especially in the daycares. We've got a great guest with us today. She joins us live here in our broadcast. And um, so why did you decide to write your book? When, you say? Why did you decide to write your book? Why? Why did yes. you decide to write I, your book, my friend? Yes. I, I think it's really important for Americans to realize that there's something they can do to make a difference every single day with regard to jihadism and Islamism. And at the end of every chapter, I have what can you do? And I have a list um, that talks about things that you can do based on whatever I discussed in the chapter, whether it be social media, whether it be, like you said at the beginning, at the top of the hour, um, what's going on on college campuses with regard to Muslim student associations and Students for Justice of Palestine uh, clubs, um, or radical professors. Um, so each book, each, um, each chapter, I have a different subject, and then I have at the end of the chapter, what can you do as a student or as a parent or as an administrator um, to help change the situation on, on, on college campuses or on social media. Um, and as you know, there's a lot going on in Congress right now with regard to Google, uh, Facebook. You know, all of these social media outlets have something, um, that, you know, they have a lot of power. And they choose what is being seen and what is not being seen and what kind of news do people read and what they don't read. And that's a very big, you know, it's very important that both sides are being shown um, because that's how, how our people get our education about what's happening and that's how they get for their, form their opinions. So um, I wrote the book because I, I hope to educate Americans better about what's happening and to see the other side, the one that the media in general is not giving them. 
We've got a great guest with us today. She joins us live here in our broadcast, coast to coast and border to border on TuneIn, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, and Stitcher. And uh, a fantastic, fantastic guest with us today here on our big program. And uh, so, so your book, what do you want readers to take away from your writing? Well, I would like them to take action. Um, the last chapter, I have 10 major um, um, ideas that they can use to take action uh, to keep their community safer. And I know that the schools are a very important uh, place that people are focusing on now because of these horrific shootings. And so I, I not only want to inform and educate, but I want to um, empower our, our, your viewers, your listeners, to, to take some action and make a difference, um, it, whether it be in legislation and watching um, the changes in legislation, whether it be um, on their campuses close by in watching the clubs and the professors that are teaching there and making sure that radical ideas and, um, and Sharia are not being taught on campus and is not being proselytized, even in high school, the, this is happening. Um, and of course, on social media, to, you know, to monitor their, their young adults and what they're, who are they speaking with on, in these chat rooms, because this is the number one place where the majority of radicalization occurs is online. And most adults are not monitoring their children and who they're speaking with and what they're saying on who their friends are online. And that's, that's you know, it's stranger danger. It's no different than it was when I was growing up, when, um, you know, you go into a bar and you meet a stranger. Um, we need to realize that it's, you know, in your basement at home online is comfortable, but it's not, you're not speaking at, with people that you know. And, and friends are not necessarily friends. They can be predators. Well, uh, before we let you go, how do we find you online, social media, all that? So you can find me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on um, at uh, backyardjihad.com. That's my, my blog, and you're welcome to read. And you can, you can order a book on, on that website. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.